Holy God, our lives are laid open before you. Rescue us from the chaos of sin. And through the death of your Son, bring us healing and make us whole. In Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. You may be seated. Good evening. Today is the first of 40 days leading up to Easter. Numerous people from many denominations all throughout the world will be remembering this season of Lent starting today with Ash Wednesday. Early church leaders called their people to devote themselves to a regular season of fasting, prayer, and almsgiving to form and shape themselves as followers of Jesus Christ. Number one, fasting. Fasting is a willing abstention from maybe eating food and some drinks to make space in our souls to feast on Jesus Christ. In short, fasting is hunger for God made real. For many people, this is the most painful and powerful part of Lent. It doesn't necessarily have to be the denial of one's body. Fasting can be abstaining from crazy noise that we find all around us or something that takes so much of our time throughout the day. Maybe that might be Facebook. You know, I don't like when they put in that reminder of how what the average amount of time was that week that you spent on Facebook. It's rather convicting to think about how much time I spend scrolling and scrolling and scrolling. I don't know about you. But we fast or abstain so that we can pray and connect with God for moments and seasons of time, isolated like being in the wilderness from this crazy world in order that we can be with God. However, there is something about abstaining from food for a season and allowing ourselves to get hungry. It is God whom we meet in the absence of a few meals, and it is He who we meet in the presence of physical hunger. What happens in the natural helps us to think about what happens in the spiritual. We are reminded of our hunger and our thirst for Him. Remember, fasting is not a hunger strike trying to twist the arm of God so that we will get Him to do something for us. And that's something to be reminded of. Fasting is a posture of humility and surrender. It's starving the idols of life and opening up to hunger and thirst for Him. Righteousness, His presence, His will, and His ways in us in His will and ways in the world. In the words of Pope Francis, fast from hurting words and say kind words. Fast from sadness and be filled with gratitude. Fast from anger and be filled with patience. Fast from pessimism and be filled with hope. Fast from worries and have trust in God. Fast from complaints and contemplate simplicity. Fast from pleasures and be prayerful. Fast from bitterness and fill your hearts with joy. Fast from selfishness and be compassionate to others. Fast from grudges and be reconciled. Fast from words and be silent so you can listen. John Piper said, Do you have hunger for God? If we don't feel strong desires for the manifestation of the glory of God, it is not because we have drunk deeply and are satisfied. 
It is because we have nibbled so long at the table of the world. Our soul is stuffed with small things, and there is no room for the great. If we are full of what the world offers, then perhaps a fast might express or even increase our soul's appetite for God. Between the dangers of self-denial and self-indulgence is the path of pleasant pain that's called fasting. Number two is prayer. Prayer is participating in the life of God, talking with and listening to God, whether in solitude or in communal worship. I would encourage you to pray using the daily office, which is filled with Holy Scripture. And I encourage you, please do not leave out the Psalms during Lent to shorten your readings. In Lent, our prayers take on a tone of examination and repentance. Three, almsgiving or generosity. Almsgiving is a direct participation in God's generosity as we give away our resources and love to our neighbors. When the Christian church weaves fasting, prayer, and almsgiving together over a period of several weeks, individuals, families, and communities are powerfully impacted. These practices strengthen the ancient church in at least four areas, and they can impact our church today as well. Number one is spiritual growth. Seasons of prayer and fasting allowed our spiritual ancestors to participate in union with Jesus, who himself fasted as he sought refuge in his Father's love. Jesus assumed that his followers would fast after he returned to the Father when he said this, The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. Prayer and fasting were practical ways for the early church to receive Jesus' strength in their weakness. Number two is disciple-making. Pagan converts to Jesus needed to cultivate new habits to support their walk with Jesus Christ. Fasting, prayer, and generosity over a period of time promoted spiritual transformation. And along the way, they received pastoral support in the form of prayer, fellowship, confession, and Bible teaching. And by the way, this is not just for pagan converts, but it's for every person who is a follower of Jesus Christ. We are called to discipleship and disciple-making. Not only spiritual growth and disciple-making, but also generosity. The early church took on responsibility for those marginalized by the Roman Empire, including abandoned babies, widows, lepers, and victims of the plague. The practice of generosity or almsgiving made this possible, and when the early Christians fasted from food, they had more resources to give away. Not only is spiritual growth and disciple-making and generosity, but fourth is discernment. After persecution began to diminish, many people who renounced Jesus Christ and betrayed their friends and family sought re-entry into the church. Periods of fasting and prayer were essential in determining how and when to welcome defectors back into fellowship. Practicing the disciplines of fasting, Prayer and gen- generous giving help to weed out the insincere. In short, Lenten practices were a loving and pastoral response to the needs of a congregation. 
And they still are provided that we practice them in the right spirit and for the right purposes. These uh, spiritual practices are very important during Lent, not to make us look important, but as a means to let God transform us and through us to transform the world. This is a way to put things in perspective. It is a way of reminding us who is and should be on the throne of our heart. As Father Malcolm Geit said, now is the time to loosen, cast away the useless weight of everything but love. Lent is an invitation to die a good death, to get us outside of ourselves in order that we might get over ourselves and redirect ourselves more wholly to God and to our neighbors. Lent derails our governing apathies to jolt us into seeing things that have gone unnoticed or into feeling things that have begun to calcify into self-absorbed preoccupation. Jesus Christ wants to remake us by de-selfing us. If there is no space in us, if we are too full of our to-do lists and projects and notifications and likes and deadlines and anxieties and obligations and wants and shoulds, then there is no room for the Spirit of God to confirm our status as beloved sons and daughters of the Father who is in heaven. Thank God we are not left to our own devices if we press into Him during Lent. We cannot do it alone. We cannot wander with Christ in the wilderness by ourselves. We can only do it with others who by faith and in need of the same divine grace seek to walk in the way of Jesus Christ. We're going to talk a little bit more about that uh, this coming Sunday and the first of, of the first Sunday of Lent when we talk about the temptations of Jesus. But it says the Spirit of God, this is after his baptism, came upon Jesus and led him, in, or another one of the Gospels says it drove him into the wilderness. Well, one of the things that we know that no matter where the Spirit of God leads and drives us, he's going to always be there with us. The Holy Spirit heals us by mortifying all that is bent against God and us and by making us healthy and holy so that we might become agents of Jesus Christ's life in the world. In this season of Lent, my prayer is that we might be healed by God as together we die with Jesus Christ, that we might live with Jesus Christ for the sake of a more radiant, attractive, loving, and beautiful bride. Lent is here to throw us off again, to jolt us into reality. Don't resist it, but give in fully and completely. It might hurt at times. Uh, Let me say that differently. It's going to hurt, but through death comes new life. I encourage us to practice the spiritual discipline of secrecy. The discipline of secrecy puts our wanting others to think well of us in check as we resist the need for the approval of other people. How many of us still struggle with that demon of trying to get the approval of other people? And every time I think that's been dead, it just sneaks its head up again. There can hardly be a better example of what Dallas Willard refers to as letting God be our public relations department. Today, the beginning of Lent is marked with ash 
and that despite our strengths and successes or secrets, we're all still fragile and mortal creatures. Designed to interrupt our daily routine and lifestyle, Lent calls us to take stock, to draw close to God, to get back to the basics, and essentially to come to terms with how things really are. No masks, no pretending, and no kidding ourselves. However, the difficulty is that all this talk of humility and denial can invoke images of pious and religious acts marked by strict rules, formulas, control, grumpy attitudes, and sad faces. That's not what I'm talking about. That's not the way of Lent. True, it's time to reflect and to examine, but it's not a time to wallow in our sins. It's not a time to lick our wounds. It's not a time to have a pity party. That kind of thing doesn't go anywhere and it leaves us worse off than when we started. Instead, we need to draw closer to God as we're reminded of his loving embrace. I think every Ash Wednesday, I quote the 11th century monk, and you would think that I would know how to pronounce his name correctly, but let's just go with this. Bernard of Clairvox, who summed it all up, and he said it all well by saying this. Sorrow for sin is indeed necessary, but it should not involve endless self-preoccupation. You should dwell also on the glad remembrance of the loving kindness of Almighty God. The beauty of the six and a half weeks is how we do this alongside of others, friends, family, the church community, as a way of remembering that we're in this thing together. Lent breaks ground in us for fresh mercies. It exposes what in us lacks compassion. It puts a finger on unforgiveness, hardness of heart, our stinginess, those areas that are resistant to the grace of God. Lent is the desert in which we in our hunger and thirst are tempted to forsake the ultimate source for poisons that will destroy us. Lent is the desert in which we can discover the stream that rumbles beneath the valley of death, ready to surface and transform the dry and crusty ground into a pool. Gathering this image from Isaiah chapter 35, verse 7, that says, The parched ground will become a pool, and springs of water will satisfy the thirsty land. Lent is a hope. It points always and only to God. Christ agonizing on the cross, forsaken yet certain of the glory that is to come. Lent is 40 days with Christ in the desert during his fast and temptation. Jesus was led by the Spirit into the place of death, a place of dark spirits which prey upon weak and hungry ones. Jesus chose to let go of the familiar things and the props in meals in order to rely upon God alone. And God invites us to do the same. This is something for us to think about, and this is something else that I say at every Lent. What are the props that we're relying on to hold us up other than God? Jesus invites us, invites us into the desert of our own heightened hunger and thirst in order to meet us there to become for us the bread and water of life. 
His days in the desert become ours. So we're invited on this journey of the Lenten season, knowing full well that hope is on the horizon. Lent is a time to prepare for the coming of Easter, this extraordinary day of celebrating the resurrection of Jesus Christ. In the Western Church, we skip over the Sundays when we count the days of Lent because Sunday is always a day of joyful celebration of the resurrection. And therefore, we should always celebrate and feast on Sunday, maybe a bit more subdued than normal, leaving out the alleluias and anticipation for Easter. But nonetheless, it's still a penitential celebration. Ashes are a sign of remorse, repentance, mourning. Many people begin their journey to the cross by having a cross of ashes put on their foreheads to symbolize their repentance of sin and need of a Savior. And yes, I did have ashes on my head from a previous service this morning. But like a dummy, I was just playing with my forehead and doing all kinds of things today and realized, what is that on my hand? Well, I just smeared it all over, so I decided to wash it off, and I'll get them again tonight. These ashes represent our humanity and mortality. Abraham said in Genesis, I am nothing but dust and ashes. We really are dust and ashes, and that is what our body will return to when we die. This is a reminder of our desperate need of God. In just a few moments, each worshiper will be marked on the forehead, and something along the lines will be said, Remember you are dust, and until dust you shall return. Turn away from sin and believe in the gospel or follow Jesus. So during Lent, we are journeying toward God, or really, I would say, more theologically accurate, we will see things, and uh, we, will, we will be aware of how close God is around us. We will see things in ourselves that are unsettling and disturbing because we are ashes and we're dust. However, instead of letting that bring defeat and discouragement, it is a good reminder to us what the gospel is all about. It reminds us again to repent, and to throw ourselves on grace, on His grace. Let it remind us of how much we need a Savior. Yet even as we grieve over our sin, our missing God's mark, our curving inward, our failing to follow Jesus and to fulfill His purposes and plans, receive afresh the love of Jesus Christ who died and rose again for each one of us. The Lenten season is meant to kindle as the Eastern Church reminds us a bright sadness within our hearts. Its aim is precisely remembering Jesus Christ, a longing for a relationship with God that has been lost. Jesus gives us gifts of forgiveness and life and salvation in baptism. When the sign of the cross was traced upon our foreheads and upon our hearts to mark us as one redeemed by Jesus Christ, the crucified, So the ashes will be traced upon us today also as a reminder of our baptism that we have already been buried with Him through baptism into death just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father. Even so, we should also walk in newness of life. St. Paul tells us that in Romans chapter 6. So since we have already died with Christ in baptism, we need not fear earthly death, though our bodies will be returned to dust but we will have hope that we will be raised up on the last day because we are in Jesus Christ. So during this Lent, in our 
formational discipline. We will be using earthen vessels of pottery, chalices that contain wine, patens, which is basically like a plate containing the host, ciboriums, if you think of a bowl containing the wafers, and we will only intinct for Holy Communion. In other words, we will not be sipping out of the cup. When the bread is distributed, please keep it in your palm and wait for the chalice bearer to take the bread from your palm and gently dip, which what we call intinction, into the wine, and then they will carefully place it upon your tongue. If you, will consu- if you consume the bread after it is dri- distributed to you, the chalice bearer will know that you do not desire to have, intinct- you know, have it intincted into the wine because you've consumed it. But if you accidentally forgot, because for many of us, it's just the habit immediately after receiving, you know, into our palms, we immediately consume. If you forget, that's okay. Just tell the chalice bearer, and they'll go back up to the altar, and they'll get you another piece of bread. But we will not be drinking from the chalice. Now, that's very new for many of us, because in this church, it's been the practice of using precious metals, gold and silver, to take Holy Communion. But it's just during Lent. We're going to use this as a formational practice to discipline us to still take Holy Communion, to be reminded of our, that we are earthen vessels. We're like jars of clay. But in the jars of clay, in these earthen vessels, we contain the treasure of Jesus Christ. And so we wait. As we omit our alleluias and we reserve them to Easter, we will also reserve our gold and silver until Easter morning, where we can celebrate together. May we let our mind be renewed and our desires to be reordered by God's word and his kingdom. Remember, we are but dust, and to dust we shall return. Let us pray. Father, we begin this 40-day journey of Lent by acknowledging that we are weak, desperate, and needy people. Forgive us for our silly and pretentious attempts to cover these realities. As the season unfolds, reveal any unfinished business between us. Show us the unsurrendered territories in our hearts. Dethrone the false gods that compete the supremacy that you take in our life as king. Heal our broken lives and help us learn what it means to put our trust in you. And remind us of the cross that's traced on our forehead after our baptism, reminding us that we are your children and we are marked as yours forever. As we journey during Lent, may we be fully aware of just how close you really are around us. And we ask all this in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit.